0: Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago
1: Sports Conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports
0: Central. Welcome in episode three, Sports Central, the relaunch. Mark Carmen and Adam Hogue with you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. David Bodie is Daniel Palka. That is the podcast. Bodie Polka, every Bodie in hashtag
1: Polka Mania. Hi Adam Hogue. Hi. But I'm sorry, uh, you can you can have your David Bodie and Daniel Polka. The Bears <laughs> have another middle linebacker going to Canton. Bears Bears. Yes, 29 days the
0: holdout for a Roquan Smith. Uh, this end up the way you thought it would. Uh
1: yeah, I mean it ended up with him being on the team and playing. Hopefully, uh, going forward, I, I this whole thing didn't really go how I thought it would to start. I mean, I I didn't really see a scenario back when they drafted him that he would be a guy holding out for a specific language in his contract, and um, you know whatever. Uh, <laughs> as we record this, we have yet to hear from Ryan Pace, Roquan Smith, the whole deal. But the expectation is is that. Smith is back in Chicago. Will report to the team uh, today. Uh, is Tuesday as we record this. He's uh, going to practice with the Bears today and um, be with the team in Denver this week. So, so and you are headed to Denver. You're going to get to hang with the Bears and Roquan Smith. Yeah, no, it should be uh, it should be an interesting week because I, I mentioned this last week. The idea of Roquan joining the Bears. It, This specific week, it's not like he can't do it, but now you have a guy who hasn't practiced in pads at all. Like He has yet to put on pads in the NFL, because in the offseason, you're not allowed to wear pads. And he's going to, theoretically, his first practice is going to be against the Broncos instead of against the Bears. That's right. Jump right in, baby. Let's go. That's a Denver Bronco. Go hit him. Now, that's assuming that they're going to let him practice. I don't. There might be some restrictions this week. He's obviously got a, you know, like any other player does when they report to camp, you're going to have a physical. They're going to do the conditioning test. I mean, they're going to find out what kind of shape this kid is in. He hasn't been around the team. He missed the whole Bourbonnais portion of training camp. Those are answers they might not even know right now. I'm going to guess he's in great shape.
0: He's been working out hard. He's been lifting. The pectorals are ready. The calves are ready. He's got a nice hamstring. I- I'm betting that Roquan kept himself in shape. If he didn't, that'd be pathetic. Oh, he
1: better have. Yeah. I mean, you can't hold out from your contract and then show up after Bourbonnais is done with and be out of shape. No, I think you're right. I think he'll be ready to go. And uh, just for, for the record here, he's... Uh,
0: He's, what's he getting, $18 million, $11 million more in incentives, basically the slot value, all that type of stuff, and we don't have word yet on exactly how the, all the contract language worked out, but apparently uh, Roquan and, more importantly, his agency is happy with everything at this point or at least willing to take the deal and move forward. Whether they gained anything, we really don't know, correct?
1: Yeah, right. As of right now, uh, and, and unfortunately this is the sometimes the downside of a podcast form of things, of course, I mean, even when you're live, Sometimes you don't know all the details. There
0: is no downside to this podcast. This podcast is amazing. This is an amazing podcast.
1: Please tell your friends. It's a great point. Um yeah, we don't we don't know right now. It, which side gave in? I mean, if I had to guess, I I would say that probably Roquan decided that he just wanted to go play football. You know, it's interesting to me that this is like kind of the halfway point between when he was supposed to report To camp and when the season starts. So uh, you mentioned it was 29 days of a holdout. Yesterday was the 29th day. He decides to come in. Uh, There's 20 from today now. There's 26 days until the opener in Green Bay. So you know, I don't know if there was an arbitrary deadline put on this by his agents or, or by him where he said, "All right, if this is not." Resolved by this date, let's just go ahead and take the deal and 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 get in there. Because as I uh, went on a rant, I hope if you're listening to this podcast, you also listen to the Hogan Johns podcast, uh, our, our our Bears football pod on WGN Radio dot com, iTunes, Google Play, anywhere you listen to your podcast. I uh, kind of went on a rant last week that hey, every side in this thing, everybody's wrong <laughs> because because at this point they're starting to jeopardize wins wins. Because it was getting close to the, uh, to the point where you're going, I don't know how this dude can play Week 1. Certainly don't know how he can start Week 1 if he doesn't get his butt to practice soon. And that's a huge game in Green Bay Week 1. You're, you, can put, you can go into Green Bay and win and put a, fr- a team that I think is very fragile this year in the Green Bay Packers on their heels. They got the Vikings Week 2. So they have a brutal start to their schedule if they lose to the Bears week one. I mean, that's a huge statement game that you can make. And you need your number eight overall pick on the field. So this was getting to the point where from the Bears' perspective, you're costing yourselves a possible win week one. If From Roquan's perspective, you're jeopardizing your, the rest of your teammates' chances of winning week one. Because that's how big of an impact I think this dude can have early on. And so I don't know whoever gave in. The more important part of that is, he's at Hallis Hall. He's gonna practice. He's still got a chance to play against the Packers. For the record,
0: I think they're gonna get absolutely mauled by Green Bay on opening uh, in in the opener, which is of course Sunday night, a seven twenty kick. A little by sunny. who? I th- oh, I think Green Bay's gonna beat him like forty one to
1: ten. But okay, but who on that team? Oh, by well, okay. I, I see mean, what they, you're have, they have twelve. I they bro, have to, they have they have number twelve, and he's really that, really good. Vic Fangio has also played tremendous defense against Aaron Rodgers over the years, and always given the Bears a chance. It the, the while, I am not concerned about the talent the Packers have. I think that they have put band aids over huge holes on their roster through free agency, which everyone in this city, Chicago, knows doesn't work. Jimmy Graham's going to catch ten balls. Devontae. Jimmy Graham's Jimmy Graham's not Jimmy Graham. <laughs> How about how about a Randall Cobb? Is he still he still kicking? Randall Cobb, yeah, uh, you know, beat the Bears like five years ago. Oh, right.
0: I, I got you. Okay, fine. They're a vulnerable Packer. I'm just, I I would say that I'm just you know feeling the history of Bears Packers of the last I don't know what are we calling twenty years. Um, if they win on opening night, though, you're right. If that would be a statement and a half, the Bears beat the Packers on opening night on the road. I mean I know there's a Thursday
1: game, but you, you get the whole point. That would be incredible. It'd be incredible. Yeah. And Randall and Cobb by the way is still only twenty seven somehow. Uh, he must have been drafted when he was fourteen. Still
0: well, what well, how many balls did Randall Cobb catch last year? I'll I'll look it up right now. He caught he caught sixty six
1: balls last year. He's not he's not dead. No. No, he's 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 one of the few options they have. Jimmy Graham, by the way, caught a bunch of touchdowns last year, too. He's still an effective player. He's just not the guy that he used to be. Clay Matthews not the guy he used to be. They signed Mo Wilkerson, who is talented, but also a, a huge problem um, attitude-wise at times. I'm just saying, overall... I think there's more problems. I it's. A, I got you. Forget got you. it. We're not gonna break down the Packers. Bears have a chance to win. I think week one. <laughs> I'm not saying they are. I'm not predicting a W. We're still 26 days away from the game, but they have a better chance of winning with Roquan Smith than without him. Great
0: math, knowing that it's 26 away. That right there is another reason to listen to this podcast. That's strong math. Hey, uh, Adam Hoke, I want. I got one question for you before we uh, move to a little baseball. What? and I know it's a this one's fascinating, everyone's on the edge of their seats for the uh, offensive line talk, but I do want to know what you, is going on in your mind between James Daniels and Cody Whitehair, my Iowa Hawkeye, James Daniels, who's supposed to be the greatest center in the history of the Big Ten. You know, when the Bears drafted him, they said they were going to play guard, and now he's he's getting more reps at center, maybe because they don't have a center to play there, But and, and I can already hear OB screaming, Cody Whitehair is not a center, he's a guard. So is that going to happen? A little James Daniels uh, with a little Mitch Trubisky, a little combination there, and Cody sliding over? What do you think? Yeah, I
1: I kind of feel like it eventually is going to happen. I don't know when. Like, I don't know if it's going to be this week. I don't know if it's going to be a year from now. It just feels like the eventual offensive line of the Chicago Bears is going to have James Daniels at center and Cody Whitehair at guard. What? And- why
0: this matters to me, I don't really know, but I just feel like that's the right call.
1: Well, because it's it does matter. I mean, this, is a, this offensive line has a chance to be pretty good, but they need to figure out their best starting five. I think they're better off if, at some point, that includes their second-round pick, James Daniels, who looked pretty good against the Bengals last week. Granted, he faced their backups, and Cody Whitehair was going up against Geno Atkins. That makes a difference. But they got to figure out which is the best position for both of them. I was surprised, probably like you and many others, when the night they drafted James Daniels, Ryan Pace got up there and said, we're starting to met guard, not center. Yeah, that just seems so off at the time. Why do you even
0: have to make that statement?
1: Well, and he didn't rule out center, but, I mean, it helps because you end the speculation a little bit, but obviously not well enough because here we are only a couple weeks into camp, and it already seems like James Daniels Looking pretty good at center. Now, he did play, he did have to play there because they really had no other options. Uh, they're really thin at center right now with Jaronis Grasu hurt again. He seems to be hurt a lot. And ultimately, whether it's Eric Cush or James Daniels, they need to be able to play both positions because they just need to be. <laughs> it, you, you need to be the swing guard slash center, really, in the NFL if you want to be dressing on game days. I guess the point here is. The Bears have been through this a lot in recent years for whatever reason. You know, Whitehair's rookie year, he was playing guard all of camp, and then they went out and signed Josh Sitton the first week of the of the season, and all of a sudden they moved Whitehair to center for the first game. I mean, they said here, go play center when he hadn't really practiced there. I'd like to avoid that if possible. I mean yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Figure it out now. You know what I mean? Like get white, start to get white hair reps at guard, just in case that's the route you need to go. I think white a good player. I've always argued with Ob and and Kaz and Hamp about that on our post game shows. I, I think he's a starting caliber player. I may tend to agree with them. Though, that with Daniels in the fold now, I like the idea of Whitehair playing guard. I just think he needs to concentrate on one of the two positions. So, I think right now they're try- they're trying to do that. They're trying to make him the center. I just think it's better off long-term if he concentrates on guard and Daniels plays center. That's, uh, that's where I'm at, baby. Let's
0: just put them where they belong. And it sounds to me like they belong that way. Daniels under, let them snap the football. And give me a little Cody Whitehair at guard, which is where correct. He that's where he came into the league. That's what he was. Am yeah, I? he
1: um, he played all over right. except for say He played every, he played guard and tackle. A lot of tackle though at Kansas State, and I believe that's where he was his entire senior year uh, at tackle. So he was already making an adjustment to guard in camp, albeit not a huge one because he had at least played there before. But then they literally threw him in there at center. Yeah. It, it, which goes to, to show you they're not afraid to do that to a rookie, and it's possible because he played pretty well right. when he did that. And people loved him. Uh, by the way, Mitchell Trubisky,
0: we've had two preseason games. I know the Hall of Fame game is not a whatever a true preseason game, but he's thrown four passes at him. He's two for four for four yards in two games. We've got the Broncos Saturday night. Literally everyone I hear on the radio who has any affiliation with the Bears or is a fan of the Bears wants the Bears offense to be on the field more. Why they're unwilling to do this uh, considering where they're at as a franchise is, is uh, it's confusing to everyone. Willie I, I know he's going to play more on Saturday, but do you share the same
1: thoughts? Not really um, they but I have the benefit of having seen them in practice you know since May and, and watching this whole Really, since April, actually, they had that extra mini camp. They just seen the whole thing come together very, very slowly. You, you, you got to realize that in the first couple weeks of training camp, Nagy's strategy was to throw everything in there at the offense. I mean, he really was not concerned about results. He wanted to see what what worked and what didn't for this personnel, not just Mitch Trubisky, but you know the other starters that were out there too. So he was able to get a good idea of, all right, this play might work, this play might not work, Mitch isn't comfortable with this, Mitch is comfortable with this. Now they're starting to s- scale that back, now that they have some idea of what's working and what's not. So it, it's t- it's taking a while, but there's still plenty of snaps available in these next couple of preseason games. Uh, it, it's so unnecessary to have four preseason games, Carm, it, let alone five. It's just not needed for the starters. It it gives you an extra opportunity to evaluate the 53rd guy on the roster, which is going to change 17 times during the season anyway. Okay? It it just doesn't really matter all that much as long as these next two games are productive for Trubisky and the offense, and I think they will be. Okay. So we're going to see him a quarter on Saturday night?
0: Probably a little bit more, I would guess. Okay. Okay. Okay, if he plays, uh, hey, give me a full first half on on Saturday and another first half, uh, in Game Three. What is that? They're back home, whoever they play, uh, Kansas City. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like a a a big revenge game for Matt Nagy. Huge revenge game. Noon kickoff on a Saturday versus the Chiefs. But
1: but they don't play in the fourth game, which is now the fifth game for the Bears. So just keep in mind, it's more about snap count than. I know everyone wants to quantify it by quarters. oh he should play the whole first quarter. He should play the whole first half. That's fair. That's fair. It's really more about how many snaps he's getting. And I, I know a lot of people thought he should have played more the other night. I loved your tweet about that. By the way, the sarcasm was was real. Yeah, I mean,
0: four passes. Two. I'm just he, yeah. they, one drop pass. Kevin White. Just me. I would, you know, throw him out there a little bit longer. It's not like they've been
1: winning Super Bowls here. I, right. I I would also just... That was my first thought, too. Like Initially, it seemed like he could have used more work. And then I was like, he's playing with so many backups right now, and they're so out of sync. Like They need another week of practice before he... Because you don't want him to get killed out there. That's true, and he was under pressure instantly. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line wasn't playing well. Um, I think he got hit a couple times in very limited snaps. His running back ran into him at one point. Because Jordan Howard wasn't playing. Tariq Cohen played one snap. Uh, it, It just was like... All right, this is pointless. I'm with Matt Nagy on this. Just get them to Denver healthy, and uh, run. And, and they had a whole extra couple days of practice here because they went Thursday to now to Saturday. So I, I think it'll look a lot different Saturday. And Allen Robinson supposedly will be out there Saturday. Yeah. All right.
0: Let's let's uh let's move on off the Bearsy as and and have a great trip to Denver. I very jealous. I love Denver. 300 days of sunshine. That's amazing. What a week for you or a couple days. So. Uh, This is, is a topic that no one else has thought of in this town. And, of course, we have the Chicago White Sox on WGN Radio, which means that we're paying incredibly close attention to the White Sox, which perhaps some are not at this point considering the season. But Daniel Palka, who is 26 years old and is a rookie with 18 home runs and is hitting walk-off bombs on Friday nights, and he's hitting pinch-hit huge homers, in domes, and is making a name for himself on the south side, is not getting the same amount of love as David Bodie, Adam Hogue, and I don't care about the grand slam, down 3 nothing with two outs and two strikes, which was like the natural, and I thought he was Roy Hobbs. But we, we want to build a case here that Palka would be Bodie and more if he was on the north side. Palka mania, is, is it, it's being swept under the
1: rug in this town, and it's just flat out not okay. Well, look, here, here's the thing. The Cubs are in first place, and they're potentially headed to their fourth straight NLCS. And they're the Cubs. Daniel da- Polk and David Boney has been an incredible story. I was watching the game the there night. He hits the walk off home run. What a moment! Um, and I, you know, I, I tweeted, "What a story this guy is. He's unbelievable." I mean, who is this dude? Great story. Love him. Coming out of nowhere. And then last night, you and I were on the phone just discussing what we were going to talk about on the podcast, and the Sox were playing at the same time. I had post-game duties last night, and Polka was at the plate. As we're talking, and I'm just like, you know what, though? If Polka was on the Cubs... Right it be, I mean, uh, I think it was Matt Vasgersian on the broadcast the other day said that they were already uh, scouting out the area for the David Bodie statue outside Wrigley Field. If Polka was on the Cubs, that thing would already be built. Right? Where's the
0: Polka statue? Why can't Vasgersian be talking about Polka in a statue? David Bodie has 18 RBIs. Daniel Polka has 18 home runs. Right. I mean, and 48 RBIs, for the record. Daniel Polka is a year older, which uh, adds to the level of rookie intrigue, right? It should. He's even older. Daniel Polka. what do you talk about the Cubs? He resembles a guy by the name of Kyle Schwarber. I mean, did Schwarbs have 18 home runs in his first, what, now 281 at-bats? I'd have to look that up, Adam Hogue, but I don't think he has. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look that up, too. I mean, this is, uh, this, this guy... He wears the, well, I love him, number one, because he wears the Air Jordan cleat, which is uh, just an incredibly strong choice by Daniel Polka out of Georgia Tech, picked up off waivers by the Chicago White Sox when nobody wanted him, right? Let's get Rick on some credit going on here. Yeah,
1: Schwarber, by the way, had 16 home runs in in 273 plate appearances in 2015. Okay, so there you go, Polka better.
0: Schwabz would have had to have two more homers in his next eight at bats to tie Polka. What was Schwartz batting average? Schwarber's batting average in twenty fifteen was two forty six. Okay, so Polka's at two thirty eight, he's eight points off. How many times did Schwarber strike out? Uh
1: where's the strikeouts?
0: <laughs> Reading stats, that's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> 77 strikeouts in 2015. Right, Polka's got to control the zone a little bit better. He's at, he's, <laughs> he's at 102. He's at 102. I shouldn't have brought that up. That was a bad bad use of the stat board. How many doubles? Polka's got 11 doubles, damn it, and
1: three well, Let's just look at the slugging. Uh, slugging 491. That's for Polka. And four eighty seven for Schwarber. Four points better.
0: Polka not the only The OPS
1: though, the OPS for, for Schwarber was better. It was a eight forty two. Polka's at a seven seven three. Uh, okay. So the, but the bottom line is that Polka
0: is more comparable to World Series hero Kyle Schwarber than he is to David Bodie. Yet David Bode... Was... Well uh, in a little
1: fairness. <laughs> If, this if, is not about fairness. If Daniel Polka was on the Cubs, he he would be David Bodie right now. I mean that would be the role he'd have.
0: No, if if Daniel Polka was on the Cubs though, he would there would there would already be like my guy Howard Cadet, who's a garbage man slash t shirt salesman slash vendor right next to the right field, uh, I'm sorry, the left field foul pole next to the firehouse, He'd be, there would be polka Mania shirts, they'd be flying off the thing instead of everybody in, which is a cool, I like the, the only thing about everybody in, that, that slogan the Cubs have this year, the only thing that's cool about it is the everybody in. Everybody, I hate the slogan, everybody in, everybody is not in. There are two teams <laughs> in this town. The last thing that everybody is is in. I mean, what does that mean? You can't say everybody in. Everybody, what? Like, are you you're trying to like? Re- you Darvish isn't even in. The guys live in his own dreams.
1: <laughs> you Darvish isn't even in. <laughs> he isn't.
0: Hate that guy. Love that guy. That's hate that That's sports hate for the record. But everybody in. No, this is sports. This is like they're, they're, most people are out, and then
1: you're like <laughs> most people. are <laughs> I don't. was like a Larry David rant. I, I
0: don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not into everybody in, but I am into Palkamania, but to, to give love to, to David Bodie, that was the coolest Roy Hobbs, the natural, the song should have been playing as he rounded the bases on a Sunday night under the lights down three, nothing the the old rookie hitting a grand
1: slam. That was incredible. Now I saw multiple people tweet that it was the loudest or slash coolest moment in they've ever had in Wrigley Field. I, I feel sorry for those people. Clearly, now they have not yeah, got a now lot maybe that's accurate for them because they, you know, maybe they, they just weren't at some other games. Uh or actually, who was it? Someone tweeted that it was like ever at any live event he had ever been to, not just Wrigley. Okay, um, I'm trying to think of who that was, and immediately I'm going, okay, well, first of all, um, I even have a Cubs moment. <laughs> And I'm not Mr. Cub. Which Cub moment are you going? When Kerry Wood hit the home run in Game 7 of that, the NLCS in 2003. You were there? Now, I wasn't at the game the other night when Bodie hit the homer, so I guess I can't definitively say that Kerry Wood's moment was louder. But that that was insane. I can't imagine that the Bodie walk off Grand Slam the other night was any better than Kerry Wood hitting that home run oh. in game seven in the NLCS. Okay, uh, first of all I'm so incredibly
0: impressed that you were there for game seven. Second of all, uh, shockingly, I was there as well, had a double case of Budweiser in section two twenty eight when and you're not and you weren't selling it, you were just sitting there drinking a
1: yeah, the double case.
0: That's right. I was not yeah. I was I was I was not vending. In fact I. Uh, I was just I just stole the double case and just sat down it was just pouring because you know <laughs> M- M- Miguel Cabrera had hit a three-run homer and it was three nothing and I just I stopped vending and just brought the case to a seat because I knew they were going to blow the series yeah
1: that was just the- started chugging them
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what
1: I should have done
0: yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I should have done but that was the loudest moment in that park by far the whole thing was going to come down it was unbelievable don't tell me that. That so, come on. And that was before the renovations. They're actually lucky that the building didn't come down. It was it was so it was it was so loud in there. And then Kerry gave it up and blew it. But that, that and then there's no also, way.
1: also when Canerico hits the grand slam and Pods hits the walk off in, in five. Like I realize it's not it's not Wrigley, but just because it's not Wrigley doesn't mean another stadium wasn't just as loud. I mean. I was, I, was, I was at that game, and sorry, but I think that that actually was louder than the Kerry Wood moment at Wrigley. So...
0: That's an interesting little side bit of a conversation. Number, first of all, I, I was there for the Kenricko Grand Slam. I was underneath the stadium, wrapping up my vending night, and I thought the stadium was going to come down on me. It was <laughs> it was it was unbelievable how much noise was going on. Yeah. And and, and slash Guaranteed Rate Field is flat out louder than Wrigley. They pump that sound. It when the socks are going, that place is
1: incredible. I don't care what anyone says. That place is loud and it's intimidating. Yeah, so uh, happy for David Bodie. Happy for all the fans who are Wrigley. It was an incredible moment. I mean, I'm sitting at home, like, wow, that'd be, that's pretty cool. You're down three nothing, you just hit a walk off grand slam, like it's nothing. Flip the bat. The bat flip was amazing. I, I did. But it. let's settle down, people. It was August 12th, right? And and I I've
0: watched some video of like. One of you know my my coworker at Fansided, who you know, Adam Hogue, Hunter Armor, he was there taking a he was he was at the game and he had his camera out and I'm watching it and I'm like that's it like I didn't I didn't think it was that loud at all now maybe he was down the left field line so I don't know maybe it didn't capture the ambiance but I I didn't, I didn't I was I was like disappointed in the crowd from that from that video but on TV it looked incredible and the whole. Everybody watching the ball and Bodie's bad flip was incredible. Apparently, Bodie's
1: like apologized for his bad flip, which is yeah. I mean, come- I, I, I don't know. I don't know the context of that. Like, if he was asked, like, I don't. I didn't see anything about anyone having a problem with it. The best part of it was the Nationals catcher just walked off and started cursing. <laughs> so, yeah that was yeah, yeah I think Matt weeders was behind the plate and yeah, he knew
0: it right away oh he 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 knew it and he was just it would look like somebody like taking his
1: hand off, he was so irritated uh I mean he crushed that ball that i mean that that's what's uh, for for a sport that's been getting slower and slower and less of those high anxiety moments. That was pretty cool. It, it was awesome. It need,
0: we we need more of that across the league. We do, but Daniel Polka's is better than David Bodie. That's the thing to remember about this portion of the show. <laughs> hashtag Mania is better than hashtag Everybody In.
1: Uh, let, no, let's... That's actually a serious question. Like, if you're a Cubs fan right now, Bodhi for Polka, straight up, would you want that trade?
0: You, if for real, you wouldn't do that if you're the Cubs because you got seventeen thousand outfielders and Bodhi helps yeah. them in the infield, but. Um, if I was a team considering either one, that's a that's a that's a totally different story. It would I would think it would clearly depend on need. If if we're real, if we're gonna have a real conversation about it,
1: Bo- Bodie, I mean, it's just too... I mean, right now it's fascinating just to figure out how Polka fits in with the White Sox going forward. Well, you... because it's still overall a very small sample size. The Twins just got rid of them. I mean they like basically had to pick somebody off their 40-man roster to DFA and it was him. It's not just the 18 homers. Every
0: ball the guy hits is hit at like 110 miles an hour. Yeah. He's, he's got to cut down on the strikeouts and he's and he's most likely a DH, but there's nothing wrong with a left-handed DH who hits 30 bombs and who who seemingly is going to get better.
1: You I, do wish the OPS was a li- I mean at least over 800, though if we're talking about a regular DH role. Sure,
0: but he's I mean he's close. He's it's it's yeah. a, it's not like it's a, in this in the low 7s. He's he's what 773. I, I I don't look, there is no reason with all due respect to play Matt Davidson at DH. Uh, you want to you want to put him there against lefties, okay. But I think the White Sox know what Matt Davidson is. Find out the rest of the way. Let's just see what Daniel Polka can do the rest of the year. That sucks for Matt Davidson, but I think that's if I'm Ricky Renteria, that's how I would roll it.
1: Um, yeah, because you have a guy here who, and you can get him playing time too. You
0: don't need to have Leori Garcia out there taking uh, playing time away from him either. When you know what that guy is, good player. I'll take him on my team. Can play anywhere, but I would. But I don't. I'm not
1: trying to develop Leary Garcia right now. Right. Yeah, and then and Delmonico's out there Delmonico actually was the one who DH last night. Right. I mean Nicky's another Nicky
0: needs to play. You want that's that I he should be getting it at bats I, At this well the White Sox have a, a lot of decisions to make. You, you don't really need to play Avi. If we're trying to evaluate the team, but you also have to be fair to a veteran, there's that too. But I would tell him that uh, you're not going to play quite as much in September. And then what do you do with the staff? Are you going to let Carlos Rodan pitch to the end of the year, coming off shoulder surgery?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. It's interesting. And and by the way, this also plays into the Eloy thing. I mean, everybody wants Eloy up. Granted, he would come up and be the best outfielder on the team from a hitting-wise, hit, hitting right? Immediately, no, he'd be. Eh. But they they don't really have a spot for him right now for this team. I know that sounds crazy because he would be the most talented hitter in the lineup, other than maybe Jose Abreu. Um, but like we're so, like Polka needs a play, Delmonico needs a play. Like you need to still evaluate these guys right now. I know some fans are probably like laughing at that idea because oh, but Eloy, you know, it, it's it's just not about winning games right now. It's about evaluating talent. And and you already sort of have a long log jam here where you're trying to get all these guys in the lineup every night and can't do it. So th- that's part of what's factoring in here too. Like, where are you going to put Eloy every day, and whose playing time are you taking away?
0: That and I mean, I think the biggest thing is they want that control. There's yeah. So I mean, it it seems pretty clear that. Well, I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. I'm betting that they're not that he, neither him nor Michael Kopech is coming up this year. Michael, great, great uh, second half of the season. Way to find yourself. Way to find some consistency. We don't want to, uh, at the very end of the year, have you come up here throwing 95-plus and possibly putting your, you know, after you've fatigued yourself down the whole season to try to ramp it up here on the big league level. So we'll see you in spring training. And, uh, Aloy, just an amazing year. Phenomenal. We expect you to have a ton of at bats next year, but we're gonna we're gonna gonna call this one a phenomenal minor league year and move on from there. That's what I think will happen is, are yeah,
1: you... yeah I, i'm I'm in agreement with you i I just think that's the most likely outcome is that we don't see either of them till next April. Um, whether that's what happens or not, I am amazed right now at how many sox fans don't understand that that's probably the right move. I don't feel like a whole. Why? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Are you feeling that? Oh yeah. Oh ho, ho, man. Really? I, oh, get on the White Sox Twitter. It is. It, it, it's unbelievable how many of these bloggers and you but know isn't that the is that the
0: vocal minority? Like I maybe. Like I I guess I I need to like hear an Eloy chant in Guaranteed Rate Field. Like I th- then I'll know that I, that that everybody's a, just if I see that okay or, or so, some signs perhaps give me a
1: where's Eloy yeah I mean yeah I don't I guess I I don't know what the percentage is on this I'm there there's but, but your sense is that people there, there's a en- let me put it this way there's enough people I respect out there enough you know from the White Sox uh, online community that are clamoring for Eloy making comments. Uh, J- James Fagan from yeah. the Athletic, who does a tremendous job covering the team, had a piece last week that was kind of going after the team for not bringing him up. Yeah, no, he's he's out there. James, it, it's these are respected baseball people, and I'm just like, why 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 do you need to rush it right now? I don't I don't understand how, whatever he gives you for... It's August 14th right now. You're getting a month and a half for a Kopech, specifically, you're getting, what, four starts, maybe, out of him? And you're going to lose a whole year of service over that? Right. Why would that, you do not I don't, I don't understand that. We went through this as a city with Chris Bryant a few years ago. And it was the same exact thing. It was... I mean, do you remember those shows we did... In during spring training that year, specifically. I mean, Scott Boris is out there complaining publicly, and, and yep. Chris Bryant even had some comments here. The fans were all riled up, and they like did not understand that holding him down there for one freaking week to start the year was going to give him a whole year extra. Now that looks pretty smart, huh? Aren't you glad you have an extra year, Chris Bryant? Well, and also... <laughs>
0: I mean, for the Cubs, they they won the division that year. They went to the NLCS, yeah. uh, so ev- everything went their way. Well, I, me, I, at, the t- at the time, I, I and I, uh, it's the same thing. At the end of the day, with with Eloy and also with Kopech, like it, uh, you're going to sign these guys before they get to that last year. But in the White Sox's case right now, you're not. The only reason to bring the,
1: either of them up is just to reward them, and somehow you can reward them in another way. But do you think the Orioles said that about Machado and the Nationals said that about Harper? Yeah, that's fair. It, it, it I mean, you're not guaranteed, and you're not guaranteed to sign these guys. You're not. I and, mean, if they're incredible baseball players and they're going to command these $300 million contracts, which who knows seven years from now, maybe they're $400 million contracts, right? I mean, we're talking about a lot of dough here. Um For a team that really has not, you know, had had ever approached that topic of signing to somebody to to that much money. Now, I'm not saying they won't, but it's just it's it's uncharted territory. So, again, I just let, let me maybe if I put it this way for Sox fans listening right now, this was not the case with Jose Abreu because he was signed from Cuba. But let's just hypothetically go back in time and say Abreu was Eloy Jimenez, inside the White Sox system, okay? Now, he ends up signing a six-year contract with the Sox. But if the year before he came up with the White Sox, so let's go back to, I think that would have been uh, middle August of 2013. He's in Charlotte crushing the ball. And I could have said to you, all right, right now, you're not going to see him until April but you're going to get a seventh year out of Jose Abreu. Wouldn't right now that feel pretty good to know you had him for a couple more years instead of just next year? Yep. I think it's I mean, you could have got a whole other year out of Jose Abreu just by holding him down there for another month and a half. I mean, I just, whether or not it's the right move, and I understand the benefit of getting him up here and starting to develop him too right now, but I don't know. To me, it seems like a no-brainer. Like, it's not that... Well, do you think they were right in bringing Moncada up last year? But that was a totally different situation. He had already been up in the major leagues. There was no service time issue. There, I, And I've seen the same thing said about Lopez and Giolito. Those guys had already been up. Other right. franchises had brought them up. And so that wasn't an issue. Right, right. It, it, yeah, if Eloy... If this was not an issue with Eloy right now, I would 100% say he's well, he'd be here. He's maxed out Triple A. He needs to start developing on the major league level. There is a, moncada is case in point in that that there's going to be some adjustments and development de- developing going at the major league level when they get here. But speaking of Moncada, by the way, good job, Ricky Rentry. It's about
0: time he got moved down to the lineup. Leave him there and let's just let it, let, the, let the year roll out. He looks a whole lot more comfortable, even though there's. Still, a lot of the same things. Yeah, a couple
1: of strikeout looking last night. I don't get the strikeout looking thing. It's well, he's just uh, some some really smart baseball people have talked about this, and I'm and I'm on board. I'd much rather have the guy who has plate discipline that figure that needs to figure out how to be aggressive. That's Than the, true. Other, than the other way around. Sure. Then the, then the guy who's free swinging and can't ever command what a strike is and what is not. Because, you know, it's like it's like with Javi right now. I mean, Javi Baez is a great player. I'd love, you know, if Moncada turns out to be Javi Baez, great. But there's a ceiling there that we always know is going to be there with Javi just because he's always going to be that free-swinging guy. Now, it works for him, but he's never going to be, you know, incredible. Is that fair? Well, I mean he might win he's the pretty, MVP he might win the M V P this year, so I think
0: he's pretty incredible. But uh he I But that's like best
1: he, case he, scenario for he, one of those guys, right?
0: Yeah, well look, to do what Javi Baez is doing this year, you have to be the most insanely ridiculously talented person to swing at everything that he swings and have the year that he's having. And he is just that incredibly talented where people were saying back in the day, you know. This guy's going to be an MVP someday. I I don't think, well, he's got a shot at it, I mean, depending on if he continues. Yeah, maybe that's not the best example, guys. But but no, it, look, but look uh, to your point though, Javi is always going to frustrate Cub fans, his teammates and his managers on some level because he is always going to do the quote-unquote Javi. It's going to be a, a 6-1 game, there's going to be a pitch over his head and it's going to be two balls and no strikes and he's going to swing at it. So it's like, you know, there Moncada where he's at, yes, he can. He can. You can learn to be a little bit more aggressive rather than tone that out of him. But uh, there's also like this there's some. I don't know if it's a recognition thing that's going on, or if uh, what what, how, what whatever it is. yawn just be, he's he's there's a learning to be more aggressive thing that's got to happen, I guess. Uh, but Frank Thomas, you know, that, and that's not fair to compare. Joan Mancada to Frank Thomas, but Frank Thomas had such a ridiculous eye that he—I mean—he would get killed for walking too much. Now Yohan's getting killed for striking out too much, but right they would kill yeah. Frank because he would take a pitch two inches off the off the corner, and they'd, people would want him to swing and try to drive in runs and hit home runs. That was who he was. But he was—I mean, you know—he—he—that's why he only struck out fifty some odd times, you know, in, in years where he hit thirty-five bombs in that era. I,
1: I don't, we just want a huge tangent. Here. Well, it, it, I mean, look, I, uh, let's be clear. First of all, I wasn't a bo- bashing Javi Baez by any You killed Javi Baez. He, you think Javi sucks. He's my, I've said this like multiple times. I think he's my favorite player to watch in all of baseball, okay? Uh, love the dude. If my, if Johan Moncana turns into Javi Baez, I'll be the happiest White Sox fan in the world. Uh, let's be clear about that. But the, the point going back to the approach was. I if I'm trying to if I'm trying to create a superstar, right? A superstar hitter, I'd much rather have the guy who seems to have the the ability to be patient at the plate, to have plate discipline. Now, if there's if there could be such thing as having too much plate discipline, which is hard to imagine, but that's kind of where Moncada is right now. They and it's they don't care when he's striking out on these borderline strikes and he's certainly been called out a lot on pitches on the edge. And unfortunately, that's the scouting report now. So he needs to figure out a way to fight those pitches off to, to stay alive in certain situations so that he can wait and get a pitch to drive. The frustrating thing right now, I think, with the White Sox is he's getting like strikes right down the middle on the first and second pitches of the at-bat. So it's not always about the pitch he's striking out on as much as it is, like is... First pitch right down the middle, man... Why don't you hammer that? You know what I mean? Like, he's being a little bit too selective early in the count as opposed to late. And that's where I think the White Sox would like to see him attack some of these pitches. And uh, because he, he, dude, when he hits the ball, it's on a rope. He has incredible exit velocity, he has incredible speed around the bases. So he just needs to channel this this uh this this discipline that he has, which is a gr- good trait to have into some aggressiveness early on the count. I think that would create some good results and you know the weird thing is as disappointing as a se- of a season as this has been for Mancada at least offensively. I still feel pretty optimistic about him. I don't know how you feel, Carm, but I I still see the tools and think that it's it's there. He carries himself
0: like he's going to be a star. That and it's it's been very rare this year where the body language goes south. I I if if I'm betting on Yoan Makata, yay or nay? I'm betting yay, uh, and I think that this year has actually been great for him because he's had a he's he's handling a lot both at the plate and in the field. I mean he's to me the most disappointing thing this year has been in the field where he's had some lapses where it looks like are you trying? Are you paying attention? Like I've had that reaction a couple of times. But Yeah,
1: what, I'm more worried about the defense long term than the offense. Um
0: so but he's he's got work to do on both sides, which you know, people are like, Well, what are you gonna do with Moncada? What are you gonna do? You're gonna play him every day the rest of the way. Maybe you give him an occasional day off here and there, maybe even two days in a row just to Sort of make a statement if you want to, but you're going to play the guy. I mean, what else are you going to do? There's there's nothing there's nothing else to do. The guy needs to be out there. Uh, great to be with you, Adam Hogue. You too, buddy. Yes. Uh, we were going to talk some Tiger today, but we didn't get to it. That's okay. Um I, I the, we'll we'll get to it soon enough. The the fascination that golf fans have with Tiger, the most beloved guy out there right now, it's always interesting in the in the lily white golf world. But we'll save
1: that for another time. Well, let me just say real quick before we get out of here. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've had one of those Tiger moments. Uh huh. When he stuck that shot on fifteen within a foot of the hole. Uh huh. And that crowd went nuts. That was that felt like vintage Tiger again, and unfortunately, that was like kind of the peak of Sun. And Sunday was a great day of golf, and you're just kind of thinking, "No, Tiger's going to get in this. He has a chance." That was where kind of that was the peak of the of the whole thing, of the arc at least on Sunday. But that was that felt like he was back. I've had my doubts, and I have had my doubts about him winning another major for a long time. But Sunday was pretty damn encouraging that. It's kind of setting up for him to win the Masters next year. That
0: would be incredible, and it, to me, it was amazing that in St. Louis at this weird PGA Championship course, Bella Reeves—is that how they pronounce it? Is that right? Whatever. I don't know. There, did you see who, the the amount of support for this guy in St. Louis, where a uh, a guy by the name of Steve West who promotes. Anti-Semitic conspiracy theories on the radio just won the uh, the primary for the state house of representatives with fifty percent of the vote. They're going nuts for Tiger Woods. It's it just kind of amazing to me. Nuts! They the the whole crowd was. I mean, it was like nobody. other no other golfers were out there. Everybody cared about and as and well they should. I you know, they, it was the by far the most compelling thing. But like, yeah, Brooks Koepka won, but like everyone's talking Tiger. Like and and there's just something off about the whole golf community around it. I don't know what it is. I just, it's just so weird. <laughs> You're saying me. racially. I'm just saying like you, you go to a golf event. I mean, look, look, they, I saw one quote from i uh, I'll read it to you from a, a guy, um, who is the, his last name is Spinks, the chairman of a chain convenience stores in South Carolina. It's been coming to the masters since 1960. This is when I, and I guess he, he was at this event too. Um, Or maybe, there was a quote on Tiger. It's a thrill to see Tiger playing. We all love him. Quote, I grew up in a segregated world, no integration. I went to the University of Tennessee on a football scholarship. I never played with a black athlete. I never got to see the talent. It's wonderful to see the world change to appreciate people of all color. That's a world my parents didn't know. So there's something about him being in this, you know, historically very elitist country club golf white sport that they're that the people have latched onto a tiger and more so now because he showed the world that yes I'm a flawed human being I had I had terrible extramarital stuff going and in addition to that my body's been breaking down I've had four back surgeries and I've you know I've been to the top, but I've also been as you know as far as you know even having millions in the bank as close to the bottom as you can go. I mean everybody everyone thought that he'd have what twenty five majors by now. He's been sitting on fourteen for what twelve years.
1: Yeah, I mean there's, there's, ten years. His last major was in 08. Um, he, look, there's a lot of layers to this. You're right, um, both in terms of him as a person and the mistakes he's made in his life. Um the injuries no question and then yeah there's there's this, there's always this thing about tiger in a sport that's predominantly made up of white people right and white fans and rich the, white bi- people yeah where the biggest the, the the biggest star in the game is multiracial um look he we don't have to get into this whole thing about racism here. It's a deep, great, it's a deep topic. Great way but, to end the show. But, but if we have, but if we've learned anything in this Trump era, carb, racism can be very uh, convenient, right? Someone who is racist, there's no consistency to it, right? Right. right so, other- so here's a guy who's entertaining you, like. Just because the gallery there was all cheering from the other day doesn't mean, and I don't, I, I, I'd like to think that most people in the world are not racist. But I think it's pretty obvious, and we've certainly learned in the last uh, few years here, it's it's exposed a, a huge flaw in our country that's, of course, been there forever since the start of our country. But it's kind of been a, a huge reminder that hey, this is still a major issue. So there's probably a lot of people that were in that crowd the other day. That are racist. But this guy's entertaining them. Right. So they don't care. Right, they're jumping up and down. It, it's a matter of convenience. Man. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is a fascinating part of Tiger Woods. And and I'll just say, look, it, I've always said this. You know, my sports heroes don't need to be perfect people. We're all flawed in, in some way, whether, whether everyone knows about it or not. Whether it's out there in the public. You know, this right now, this Tiger Woods story is incredible. Uh, it's incredible what he's doing. There's no question he's great for the game of golf. I love the game of golf. Uh, I've been one of the few that's been able to say, hey, look, I, here's Bubba Watson. Here's Roy McElroy. Here's, uh, you know, Jordan Spieth. Here's all these amazing young guys that I'm still able to watch, but I'm also. This whole tiger thing over the weekend was a good reminder, even to me. Like, yeah, this is a whole nother level.
0: Right, right. That's cool. And Dustin Johnson's rolling, but this, it's yeah. not on Tiger's rolling. Uh, all right, we'll 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 go further along the line here with Tiger down the line, and uh, yeah, that it was it was quite the weekend in St. Louis of all places at the Bella Reeves, the PGA Championship. Young and old, all walks of life, multiple backgrounds, packed like sardines. Adam Hogue to uh, watch the icon that is Tiger Woods in one of the greatest moments, or could have been one of the greatest moments in sports history. He lost. By yeah, it sp- would
1: have been cool. I, it's setting up though for next year to be pretty.
0: Uh... He's got to win one, by the way. Eventually, him finishing, you know, being
1: in contention is not gonna not gonna cut it. Look, I said this at the start of the year. I just want him healthy. I want to see a year where he's healthy. That was my minimum expectation. Uh, so far, he has accomplished that. He had a chance to win two of the four majors. That's impressive. So, I mean, for me, 2018 was a success, and I think he saw the relief on his face. No question. I, I think that was clearly his goal, too, which is to just get through it healthy. And uh, it's, I, I think it's given him some confidence going forward. Yep. No, it's, it's been a phenomenal year for him. Absolutely.
0: Uh, I'd say he's most definitely exceeded his own expectations and, and certainly fans. Great to be with you, Adam Hogue. You too, buddy. Uh, we'll do this again next week. I'm off to Denver. Have a great trip. Say hi to Roquan for me. Tell him that... Uh no problem. I get it. You tried to do what's right for yourself and others. Now just get, start
1: rolling. Beat the Packers. Sunday night, Rogue One, 10 tackles. No problem. Yeah, Well, and by the way, we'll have at least uh, one Hogan Johns podcast in Denver. Potentially two. We'll see how it goes. All right. Have a great trip out of Sports Central. We'll see
0: you next time.